You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. everyone and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. We constantly sort of keep an eye out for emergent threat and um, ransomware is something we see from time to time. Our guests this week are Rory Gold and Joachim Kennedy. They're members of the research team at Anomaly. Today, we're discussing their research on the smog ransomware as a service. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. When this one sort of was caught in our collection, and it was sort of identified to be a somewhat of a new ransomware as a service that we hadn't really seen much of a analysis about it, we sort of decided to sort of dig deeper into it. That's Joachim Kennedy. Um, and what we found first was a, sort of a quick sort of report around the initial sort of panel that has been found as part of its um, announcement or advertisement on the dark web. But we couldn't find anything around sort of the malware, how it worked and things like that. So now when we actually had a sample, we could actually take the time and sort of dig into it and find it's like how it operated, what it did, and if it did something different compared to other sort of ransomware that's out there. And then sort of wanted to go ahead and put the whole picture together and do an analysis based on the threat actor that is behind it and where it sort of is announced on the dark web and kind of what they're telling sort of potential customers, as you want to say, what they can do with it. 
Well, let's go through the research together. Um, first of all, in terms of the threat actor, uh, who do you suppose is behind this? Uh, no, that's a very loaded question. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Unfor- <laughs> no, not, not at all. That's Rory Gold. Unfortunately, it's quite difficult to really pin down, you know, who this person is or where perhaps they come from. I mean, there there are a few flags. I mean, for instance, you know, there was, or rather within the original post on the uh, the Russian dark web forum, it says that targeting any CIS, as in Commonwealth of Independent States, is prohibited and will result in an immediate ban. So that might make one think, okay, you know, maybe it's a Russian or it's a Russian-speaking actor. But to be honest, whenever you sort of, whenever you dig through the panel and you even look at the screenshots that they present you, um, you can see that there's Mandarin characters hidden within some of the ransom notes. So to be honest, can't really come off the fence on this one and can't really give it any sort of attribution. But, you know, there are certain things that might make you think. Well, and you you suspect that uh, it's a small team behind this. Yeah, we we would be of the opinion it would be a very small team. Um, at least two people. Can't really put a maximum on it, but wouldn't imagine it would be a particularly large team or a large effort behind it. Well, let's go through it together. I mean, the story sort of begins with some forum activity that you all tracked down. Uh, take us through the story here. Uh so essentially, after Joachim found sort of uh, some public-facing stuff, displaying the panel, um, displaying the uh, displaying the ransomware as a service that it was for sale, um, I looked through some forums that I would know would generally be used to sell these sorts of items. Um, one forum in particular, a Russian language one. Um, so I went through the forum, I searched for it, and it was rather easy to find, actually. As you can see, anybody that looks at the blog, you can see the original posting. Um, you know, it's fairly generic. They give you a link to it. They tell you all the things it does, you know, how configurable it is. Uh, it gives you the price. It gives you the service fee. So, yeah, you know, as a, as a starting point, that was a good space to go with. Yeah, it's interesting to me to see the the post that you share here, uh, kind of the salesmanship that that's on display here. Also, a very good use of English. Yes, a suspiciously good use of English because... Obviously, this is the you know this is the initial offering of the ransomware. But if you dig into the profile um, of the actor, well, we'll just call them Corinda because that's what their username was. If you dig into their user history within the forum, um, I think it was maybe about four or five months before the smog offering. There was a post looking for a front end dev. You know, they wanted somebody who um, was fluent in English and they were willing to pay two thousand dollars in Bitcoin. This post itself was written in rather broken English, which would sort of contrast with the smog offering, which was in perfect English, you know, grammatically um, mm-hmm. and always. So the the distinction between the two would leave us lead us to believe that there were in fact at least two different people, you know, a, an English speaking front end dev, and then somebody else in the shadows, as it were. Well, let's dig into the uh, the ransomware offering itself. Can can you walk us through uh, someone who would engage with them? What sort of uh, thing would they find themselves uh, able to use? Unfortunately, for businesses and individuals out there, it's actually rather easy to do this. Um, in the initial offering, it gives you an onion link to the website that Smog is hosted on. Once you click through to that URL and you go to it, you're presented with a fairly generic registration 
you know, you put your email in, you generate a password, you know, you confirm your password and you enter a security code. Once you do that, um, you get a confirmation and it's sent to your email address pretty quickly. Um, from there, you're given a Bitcoin wallet address. You send your 0.2 Bitcoin to that address. And once you're there, you know, your, your account's active. You're essentially, you're good to go from that point. You can immediately go into the, the dashboard that the developers created. Um, if anybody looks at the blog, they can see the photos of it. It's actually, I would argue, it's quite a nice UI. It's pretty clean. Um, it's rather sparse. It, you know, it does what it needs to do. And honestly, from there, it's just, it's point and click. You don't need to program anything. You really don't need to do anything at all. You just, you know, come up with a campaign title. You know, whatever company you're targeting, like the BBC or something, you could call it BBC. Um, set it to a business model. So it'll, it'll, uh, it'll infect all the computers within that network, but it only needs one decryption code to release all of them. Or if you really want to be nasty, you could send it out under the regular mode, which means every single computer needs its own decryption key. You can generate a ransom message saying, you know, haha, you've been pwned, send money to this Bitcoin address. And there you go. You just click the create button and that's it, you're away. Now, in terms of the messages actually going out to infect people, the the, the email uh, messages, that I suppose a phishing campaign, something like that, is that outside of what Smog will do, that, that's, that you're on your own for that part of it? Yes, in terms of um, infection vectors or people you might want to target, that is, that's one of the places you will be on your own and you have to figure that, out, that one out yourself. Yeah, and I would say it's something to do. We kind of see um, one of the things that the ransomware service provides is they, they provide you with the the actual ransomware. They do handle so the, the the sort of the 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 decryption part and the money part of that for sort of the the users of the service, and then it's sort of up to the user to try to infect and target the specific victims that they want to target. They just make it easier from sort of the getting it to that point and then sort of cashing out. Yes, they are. They're very generous. They will manage the funds coming in um, and take their 20% fee off it before you ever get to it. So I suppose that's one drawback from it. Mm. Well, let's dig into the ransomware itself. I mean, uh, you all were able to take a look at the code here. What's going on under the hood? So under the hood... Um, it's a, actually a relatively simple ransomware. Um, under sort of in general, the, all ransomware have a very very similar sort of functionality. They they look for specific files on the machine, uh, they encrypt them, and then sort of inform the user that this has happened, and then how to sort of achieve a decryption key. But then, in addition to that, other sort of ransomware will do other things. Um, some try to and propagate through the network and try to uh, remove certain sort of backups um, if it's not targeting specific backup files. Something we see sort of in with Windows, it tries to disable the shadow copy and remove any shadow copy files. So you can't do an easy sort of recovery. And this sample, or this, so the current sort of generation of this ransomware doesn't have any of these functionality. Um, the other sort of things while sort of some programs are running, they may lock specific files to prevent them from being um, tampered with. 
or removed. So some ransomware will actually go through all the running processes on the machine and sort of turn off and stop all these processes to release those files. And it doesn't even have that sort of functionality. So it's a relatively simple. But say flipping on that side, um, it is sort of a ransomware that is it's marketed to function on multiple operating systems. So it, it works for on the panel they sell it for both Windows, for Mac, and for Linux. And um, what we've found is sort of we've found samples for both Windows and Linux in the wild. And um, so far, none of, of the Mac one has sort of come on our radar. And the fact that it's sort of simple allows sort of the same sort of code base to be used. They don't have to um, write specific sort of codes for certain operating system to do certain tasks. And they can just compile different um, different architectures or and different uh, operating systems directly from the same code base without sort of part of it. So it's relatively easy from sort of the development standpoint. Now, does that simplicity, does does that lead it to being, I guess for lack of a better word, noisy? Is it, is it, is it easy to detect? Ransomware in general are relatively easy to detect. Um, they're pretty noisy when they do run. Um, most sort of EDR system would sort of pick this sort of activity up uh, as they are reading and writing a lot of fi- uh, files pretty quickly, which is usually very uh, abnormal activity. But in terms of that, it doesn't do anything else. So there's no other sort of direct um, sort of indicators. It doesn't try to reach out to any uh, network servers or something like that to pull something down. So you won't have any network-based indicators directly from this ransomware, in addition to how it sort of landed on the machine. So I wouldn't say it's sort of harder or, or easier than any other kind of a ransomware. And it's not actively going after your backups or anything like that, right? It will. It has a it has a list of certain file extensions, so it will actually crawl through for those and look for files. So there are certain. So if it has like a dot backup or common sort of file extensions that people might put on backup files, it would decrypt them. Um, but as it doesn't try to sort of connect to, say, a, a network share, for example, and try to decrypt uh, encrypt that. And then also sort of if you have the, in Windows the shadow copy enable, it currently doesn't um, remove those and disable that. I see. What is your sense for how successful this has been? Has it caught on or are you seeing much usage of it? I'd say in the, um, since we started looking at it, it started to first initial sort of Samples coming in were more of like a test sort of type system. It seemed like maybe users were buying it and just sort of generating something and seeing how it worked and see potentially how it was detected by um, AV products. Um, and it's mainly based on sort of the ransomware notes that was put in. Some of them were the very, sort of the generic, the default one, and some had tests in them and things like that. Um, we have picked up a couple of samples that are um, appears to be uh, some decoy uh, files. So it was uh, at the end of June, we started to see the first one, which was a um, self-extracted executable that was, it was looking like a Word file. So it had an icon of Microsoft Word and it had a sort of a file name of a corporate detail, June, 2020, which could intend that this might be some sort of a, you know, potential phishing lure that 
might have been used. To be honest, if Joachim hadn't found those live samples, um, I would have been incredibly skeptical about this uh, small ransomware completely. Um, you know, there's no activity on any of the forums. People are not talking about it. Um, even on that initial offering post, there were a few replies to it, maybe three or four, and it was people saying, can anybody vouch for this? Is this real? Um, there was no replies, that there was no reputation for the author. Um, since then, I've seen some more activity um, mentioning smog on other forums, but again, it is just people saying, you know, has anybody used this? Is this legit? Does anybody have any, you know, info, any feedback, anything? And nothing. None of those posts receive any replies, uh, replies sorry, whatsoever. Um, and I mean, you know, it, it got to the point where the, the moderators in the forum locked the post, the initial offering post after 10 days and asked that the actor Corinda would move $8,000 into an escrow account for the forum um, because they were beginning to become convinced that it was an exit scam and didn't really believe that there was anything behind it. So that would caution to me, I'll say that. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, I, I guess, I mean, that's an interesting component to this as well, that um, <laughs> it's it's possible that some of these offerings may be scams themselves. I mean, it's sort of layers upon layers. It's entirely possible. Um, you know, the, the moderators for the forums, as silly as it sounds, uh, work very hard to, tr to try and combat any sort of exit scams or any scams in general or phishing or whatever it might be. Uh, because, of course, these are all heavily reputation-based. Um, so they will they'll be a very active middleman in any sort of process which will involve large sums of money being moved about between sellers and buyers or whatever the relationship may be. So in general, I mean, wrapping up on this one, is it um, more of an interesting one to take a look at from a, a research point of view, but probably something, at, the, at least at this point, that isn't a real active threat? I think it's, uh, can kind of take it in sort of both ways. Um, it's obviously one, one of the things is you don't really know what the next big threat's going to be. And it's always mm. good to be prepared of what, whatever is out there. So sort of with regards to this one, when, when sort of the panel first came up in sort of the, because there were no samples, anyone knew anything about it, it was hard to sort of write sort of detections for it. Um, now when sort of it has been identified, at least sort of like on the defender side, we're actually aware of the threat. So we can sort of at least pre prepare for that. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter, you know, which successful ransomware um, sort of service or sort of malware is actually infecting you. Either way, it's like they do their job. They do, you know, encrypt and destroy people's data. And right. it's, you know, even if it's a successful or not, it still hurts the people that actually, you know, gets infected by it. Right. So, so right. you know, if, if we can at least prepare and help, you know, sort of the community protect against that, you know, that's that's what we're all about. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I, would, I, would, I would agree with you, Kim, there. Um, because it's a ransomware as a service, it may seem a little more amateurish or not, you know, not as serious of a threat. And it'd be quite easy to, you know, be lulled into a false sense of security thinking that no serious actor is going to use this or, you know, it's not going to seriously damage you. But it only takes that one person to infect you with it. And it's a huge issue. And of course, there could be other concerns that perhaps other more serious threat actors or threat groups could use something like this to avoid attribution. You know, you really just don't know. 
And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Our thanks to Rory Gold and Joachim Kennedy from Anomaly for joining us. We'll have a link to their research on the smog ransomware as a service in the show notes. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 